This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. listeners this is Brent Sutton welcome to episode 23 of the practice of learning teams today's podcast is the final in a series of four episodes and we took the podcast on a virtual tour of Australia and looking at how the Australians are applying learning teams to improve organizational learning on today's show I'm joined by my fellow colleagues Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson we will conduct a mini learning team on the key threads and themes that emerged during our virtual tour of Australia. In episode 20, we spoke with Deirdre Lewis and we explored about using learning teams for crisis events, the difference between sharing versus learning with learning teams, how to prepare leadership for learning teams, learning teams and psychological safety, justifying the cost of a learning team, using learning teams for successful work, the importance of coaching and mentoring facilitators of learning teams, the value of site time, and finally using learning teams outside of safety. In episodes 21 and 22, we spoke with Stephen Harvey and Tony McConaughey, and we explored using learning teams versus ICAM and Taproot, the importance of having a strategy to embed learning teams, the power of storytelling, the role of health and safety reps in learning teams, using learning teams for critical risk analysis, dealing with larger groups in learning teams, the importance of the facilitator to reflect to improve performance, the importance of coaching and mentoring others, the importance of post-job review and feedback into the system for learning, removing self-imposed rules, using learning teams to remove non-value activities, using the power of conversations and pre-job and pre-start work, using learning teams to evaluate the effectiveness of chain, using learning teams outside of safety management. And we also had the conversation about the safety one versus safety two debate, or should it just be about learning organisations? We wrapped up about the value of being a learning organisation, and then how to look for opportunities for improvement or opportunities for alignment. So, please, join the three authors of the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, as we now conduct our mini-learning team on those key threads and themes that emerge from these podcasts. Learning Teams and Psychological Safety but every second article I read these days has the word psychological safety appearing. But what does psychological safety mean in the context of a learning team? I think this is a really valuable conversation for us to have about when is psychological safety present? How was psychological safety um, created? And what's the effect on a learning team if we actually don't have that psychological safety? So I'll start off by saying um, it's the leader who is really there to support the session of the learning team, 
or to help create that framing for that safe environment for people to come along and participate. Any thoughts about the leadership side around creating psychological safety? Yeah, I, look, I think it's I think it's really important that the leaders do create that framework that people can work within, but then leave it to the facilitator or whoever's running that that learning team session to empower the people that are in that session to, to drive it forward. But it is super critical that they leave that feeling in that room or that space or wherever they're doing it, that they're there they're, and they're safe and whatever's mentioned is, is good. And it's all about the um, individuals in the organization moving forward. And I think that's so powerful if you get that right. I agree with you, Brent. I think what the leaders do is they, in fact, give permission for the session to take place. And at what level will the session take place? Will it be just, you know, a surface level or will people actually dive deeper and think more critically about the issue? And then I think it's the role of the facilitator, that the facilitator is the one that really sets the tone and keeps that tone and manages that tone throughout the session. Um, and I think that the workers move in and out of feeling psychologically safe. For me, that psychological safety is about being able to express yourself. It is feeling courageous enough to, to put forward your opinion, even when your opinion isn't fully formed, but being able to kind of develop a, a thread of thought and allow other people to jump in and to validate or to question or to, to rephrase things. So that the, there really is kind of three stakeholders within that mix. Yeah, I, um, I think that point about facilitation um, is really the key because I think at the start of those sessions that people have to build that trust with the facilitator along that session, even though the, the leader has come in and, and to your point, given permission. But I think that trust builds over a period of time. If the facilitator is getting that job, um, that getting that job done correctly, I don't know, it's not really correctly, but really helping each individual feel that they're part of the conversation and what they're saying is valued. And, um, you know, when you start those, sometimes you can feel people are sitting back, but as the conversation rolls on, if it's going well, then they start building in and filling in and, and building that, that narrative as we go along. Absolutely. I think one of the things that Deirdre spoke about so clearly was that even when the facilitator is known to you, so even when the facilitator is, say, your colleague, um, maybe somebody on your team, your supervisor, a middle manager, actually when they come into that role in the learning team, they, they take on a different sort of guise. And so it is very much up to them to be able to set the tone so that people do have the opportunity to, to review critically the issues at hand. So when I looked at this, I basically came out with, um, with uh, eight key factors um, in terms of that psychological safety. And the first one is that people uh, need to be listened to. They need to feel that they're being listened to. They need to be able to uh, give ideas. They need to be able to raise issues. They need to be able to be acknowledged. They need to feel that they can challenge and they also need to be recognized as being competent. In other words, they need to be recognized as the expert um, of the view that they hold. And all this rolls back to the whole thing about feeling uh, respected in that learning team's process as well. Yeah. 
And I think there's a difference between the handover from the leader who is trying to create the frame versus the facilitator who is then taking that group through the process. And just recently, I was having this very interesting conversation um, conducting a learning team where there was some feedback that they felt that not everyone was contributing. And it really made me think hard because the fact is not everyone has to contribute. I think there's a difference between people that are participating, being there, being present, people that are engaged, people that are contributing, and then you've got people that are challenging. And what I've seen is that the more uh, that people participate in a learning team, the more up the path they tend to follow over time. So we can't expect people to come into a learning team on the very first time and all of them are into being into challenging mode. I just don't think that's realistic. Thoughts? But I don't know if you want everybody in challenging mode either. I think, you know, it is about building that that narrative. And you, you, to your point, you want some people that are challenging, you want some people that are participating, and you want some people that are listening and might come into it much later on and say, well, you know, you know I've heard this and this is one of the things I think. You know, I think all those things are are really, really powerful. And I, I, I totally agree with your point around you don't, you know, some people might not participate at the same level, but that's really back to that facilitator's skill, isn't it? Of making sure that people are feeling like they're included, but they don't have to have the spotlight on them. You know, you don't want to spotlight them and say, well, you, you know, you haven't put in much. Well, yes, still, yeah, you don't want the facilitator to point out and say, why aren't you contributing? Yeah, Why aren't you speaking? I have seen that happen, though. <laughs> but just as we're saying that the facilitator needs some competencies, actually so do the, the people who are participating in the learning team. So to expect everybody to be competent in the first learning team experience, I, I, I just think we're asking too much of people. You know, there will yeah. be some people that will want to jump in boots and all, and there will be other people that will want to observe and see how the process unfolds. Um, again, it's about setting up those learning teams really well. It's making sure that the, it is explicit, the, um, the permission from the leaders about what are you trying to achieve here. It's about being very clear from the facilitator's point of view about leading and um, modelling good practice and following a, a, a kind of a process in terms of how do you get people to feel comfortable? How do you start to explore? How do you critically reflect? And then it's about people adopting that skill set. I was really interested to hear um, Deirdre, Stephen and Tony talk about um, the need for coaching and mentoring of facilitators and learning teams. And you know, it gave me some time to think about some of the stuff they were saying. And you know, what we're seeing out in that market at the moment is people that are doing these sort of linear training sessions that are sort of one, two, three, four, magically you can run a learning team. And you know, on the journey that I've been on and you know, spent some time with you guys, it's more than just, I've done some training now, I can run some learning teams. It's very much about, having somebody coach you, somebody mentor you on that journey and reflecting on how each one of those has gone. And you, both of you have been doing it quite a bit longer than I have. How have you found that journey? Because I think it's really important as we bring more and more people, more and more people find this as a, 
as one of the things that they can do to increase operational learning. How have you gone on that journey? Well, look, I, I would have to say how I run a, how I ran a learning team all those years ago and how I run a learning team now is completely different. Yeah. And how I will facilitate a learning team, say a year from now, will be different to what I'm doing today. And I think one of the most important elements of it is to basically say, when I'm there facilitating a learning team, um, I'm not there as an expert. I'm there to be curious. I'm there to help stimulate the conversation. I'm there to take the load off the other people that are participating because we want them to be able to express and to share their knowledge rather than create those those barriers in, in doing that. Um, you know, one of the most important elements from my perspective is being able to reflect. And, and that was probably one of the harder um, skills it took for me over time was that ability to reflect. And in the book, The Practice of Learning Teams, we actually um, set up that process of maintaining a journal because it's really important that the facilitator can not only make notes about what the organisation learned and what the workers learned, but also what did the facilitator learn. And I can share with you, I just ran a learning team just yesterday. I learned so much from that process. And that it was different to what you've done before or was something that you got out of about the learning team? Yeah, and about the, about the people and how they participate. So, yeah. so this was a learning team as a result of a, uh, of a, of a major piece of property damage that, that could have ended up going sideways terms of person being harmed and we had different groups present in that learning team and the person who was operating the piece of plant at the time he was present and he was quite angry to begin with and I think yeah. his anger really came from probably what he had been told to turn up to this but by the end of the learning team it didn't matter what I said at the beginning it was all about the actions of others and how the room felt by the end of it, he could actually he actually said to me, "This was not about blame. This was about learning." I know what I did wrong. He says, "I know so what can, I did wrong." So, do you rate that in one of your top ten learning team outcomes? Well, I, I rate it from the point of view that he left that learning team gaining a lot more knowledge than what he when he started. Yep. And he left that learning team probably more psychologically safe. Than when he started because he felt that he was listened to recognized listened to he wasn't being judged yeah the focus was all around the system and not him and i think the key to it is in this case the way i explained to the learning team was that we were going to look at what did normal work look like so what does normal work look like and then what did work look like on the day of the event? So we didn't really touch on the event till very late in the learning team. So the whole focus was around normal work. And very quickly people were able to point out that difference that happened between normal work and the work on the day. Yep. And what was quite fascinating from my point of view, in under 40 minutes we identified the root cause. Okay. And it simply came down to change management of the risk. There were some repairs being done. People weren't able to access certain parts of the facility. 
people were having to behave in different ways and everyone was trying to, trying to do the right job they're all trying to be as effective and as efficient as possible and it was simply just one of those things that could happen so do you, from that point of view is it the first time the organization had used a learning team uh, it wasn't the first time, but it, but it was the, probably the first time that uh, rather than sitting down and taking statements that everyone signed, yep. that everyone got together and actually had a conversation. Yeah, okay. They shared a story. So, you know, and, you know, so they had the industry expert doing running a learning team. But I think as time goes on, and one of the things that Tony and Stephen talked about was the role of the HSR and how we help HSRs. This is a new skill set for them it's not what they've typically done in the past so how do you know how do organizations help their hsrs develop that skill and that, you know back to deirdre's point that it, it, there's a lot of coaching and mentoring that will need to go on to get people up to that up to that level it's not about just training it's about that ongoing journey about as you said brent where you started from several years ago to where you are now and how to look in a year's time. So, you know, Glynis, and you, from your point of view, you've been on the same, the same journey. It's going to be quite an interesting change for some of the HSRs that we come across in the industry to take them on that journey, isn't it? Yeah, look, absolutely. But I think it's going to be, um, it's an interesting journey for everyone. You know, just as Brent said, it's a matter of, of trying things out. Uh, we often work together when we do learning teams. Um, just because we, just because of how it, it sort of works out, um, and it's an opportunity then to reflect, to talk about what worked well, what didn't work well. I think the thing with learning teams, it, what you gain is confidence over time, and what you gain is a range of strategies that you're able to use. So for me, the the training, if it's linear, what's missing is the opportunity for somebody to try try something. Um, reflect on how well it went and then bounce those ideas off somebody else who's further down the path than you are. Um, yeah. I think, you know, the way to learn to do uh, to be a very good facilitator in this context is to learn something, to learn something about yourself, to try it out, so to be exposed to learning teams, to reflect on your practice, what, what were you good at, where were the areas that could have gone better with somebody who's more skilled than you are, and then kind of Keep a, a keep a diary of what it is that you've been doing so that you can see that incremental learning as it takes place there is definitely a skill set that needs to be developed so whether it be a manager or whether it be a rep actually that skill set still needs to be developed and everybody will have an individual starting point and they will have different things that they will need to work on i think i've found it powerful powerful when i've run a team and i haven't felt that i got everything out of it that i could have and i've spoken to brand or i've spoken to you and said you know, this is one of the issues I had. And, um, you know, one of them was that I remember not having somebody there taking the notes. You're trying to run the team and take the notes, you know. So some of those, just those things that you're not thinking about at the time that you've run it past somebody said, you know, if you've got this many people, you need somebody else to help you break it up. You can't you can't go for that 40 minutes by yourself. And it is really powerful having been able to bounce those, you know, outcomes or, you know, even if it's a negative outcome off somebody that's done it before, you go, yeah, now I've had the same problem. And this is what I tried. It seemed to work the next time. It was much better. Yeah, but it's, it's, but it's not a linear process. You know, no, it's not, not a formula. You don't start at A and end up at Z. Or, or Z. No. It just doesn't work that way. Going back to the comment about health and safety reps, um, I was thinking about that quite a bit. 
and I was just sort of posing the question um, with, with reps um, we, we know that reps um, by their nature don't get much soft skills training particularly when they are undertaking their own uh, certification as, as a rep as the worker representative they don't get a lot of training on soft skills and I was actually just pondering in my own head about maybe we need to start with reps about getting them to simply go out and be curious with the workers because they are the worker representative yeah. and to spend time in the workplace talking to the people they represent and just being curious and just asking those basic questions that we have in the book about in the job that you do what's the sticky what's the stuff that can kill you yeah. okay given that our systems aren't perfect our process aren't perfect our people aren't perfect what stops you from getting hurt and just yeah. I think if we start that curious question I think that can take them a long way to then coming into a learning team and again I think you need permission to do that yeah you know we've got to give our representatives um, the permission to go out and have those uh, have those conversations and we need to do it in a way that's expedient you know, we can't have them off the tools. We can't have them, you know, going out and having those conversations all the time. So we need to set up opportunities for them to be able to do that. I really want to thank Deirdre. She really started us off on this sort of tangent of thinking about um, sharing versus learning within a learning team. And I think it's something that we all need to be really mindful of as practitioners. You know, it's one thing to come together and have these uh, rich, nuanced conversations uh, with, our, with the workers, um, but we've actually got to capture it. We've got to do something with that information, and we've got to turn it into learning. And I think that that learning is going to look different depending on the context of the learning team. But I suppose it's something that we should really sort of uh, start to, to think about and kind of put some thoughts around. So Brent, what's your thoughts on this? How do we take... But how do we move from, say, just sharing over to learning in a learning team? Well, I mean, you know, for us to learn, we have to um, share and then we have to do a bit of reflection. There's a few things that happen in between. Um, but I think learning just does not come physically from sharing. It comes from basically uh, each person being able to um, sort of understand or analyse what's being shared with them about how that um, reflects or resonates to themselves. Um, they want to be able to sort of challenge that information as well. And it's those steps that start to move on to that learning journey. And, and, you know, once again, there is a pitfall. If all we do is get people around the room and share stuff and nothing happens with it, why would I bother? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's going to be one of the biggest reasons that learning teams fails to embed within an organisation is that there is far too much talking and not enough doing. Yeah, I think... There has to be an action, you know, if you've taken the time and energy to put a learning team together, you would think that there has to be an action that comes out of it or an outcome that comes from it, you know, whether it's improvement in your system or some continuous improvement to the overall operation or whatever it may be, or, you know, improvement to a safety outcome. Um, and, you know, we've seen this in the past with lean projects where people get very evangelical about it and then nothing happens and if, so all that energy vaporizes so i think what we've got with the learning team is this really amazing group of people that have got this energetic outcome and they're looking for the organization to actually do something with it and that actually validates their input into that learning team 
But to Brent's point about, you know, not just sharing it, I find that unless I can put it into my own context, then I don't learn, I don't necessarily learn anything from it. So it's about being able to put it into my own context, into the work that I do every day when, I'm, when I've been a participant in one of those. Um, and it'll be the same for the other people that are in these learning teams. They have to be able to put them into their own context and say, oh, well, that's what we learned from here. But if I do this in my environment and my day-to-day -day work, it makes sense to me and I've learned something from it. And that's how, you know, I think that uh, learning and sharing is um, really interesting. I think what we'll see in some of the corporate, well, you know, speaking to some of the corporate people that we have spoken to over this journey is, Sometimes they try and capture it in a video or an, and it goes into a database somewhere. And I think that's where it gets lost again because not all the people that are in these have access to that database or, or can reflect on it. And, you know, it's something I, I, I love the idea of putting something in a repository somewhere we can go and check out later on. I think that's, you know, but I don't know if it actually works. How do we, you know, and that's the quintessential question, isn't it? How do we get that out to other people within the organisation? So you're saying it's more than a Kodak moment? It is more than a Kodak moment. And for those listeners under 35, please Google what Kodak means. And I've got a 16-year-old that's really into, um, she's got a film camera but doesn't know where to get it processed. That's now the new problem. Where do you process your Kodak moment? <laughs> I can well imagine. <laughs> but look, I think this is the crux of it, isn't it? This is, this is I think, comes down to a skill set of the facilitator. I think the facilitator needs to constantly reframe what what's being discussed so that people can actually grab hold of the whiffin, what's in it for me, so that yeah. they can see for themselves what is their context, how does it apply to what they do. But more importantly, I think what the facilitator needs to be able to do is pull out what are those key learnings. Now that may be presented in all sorts of different ways. It could be, you know, as you've said, the Kodak moment. It could be a set of very specific actions. Um, it could be a set of staged actions, what the workers are going to do, what a team is able to do, what the organisation needs to do. But actually that comes down to one of the roles of the facilitator of learning teams. But I think it's something that we need to be really mindful of when we're the practitioner here and when we are the ones that are leading the learning teams to provide the balance so that there is enough sharing so that we achieve things like psychological safety. We allow enough time so people can delve into the nuances and do that problem identification. But at the same time, we're really mindful of what it is that we're trying to achieve from the session. And what will the outcomes look like? How will somebody be able to utilize those in a tangible way? Yeah, I think um, one of the, I just want to get back to one of the points Brent made, and I think this is very important in that the leadership have given permission at the very start. So when the information and the learning comes out of the learning team, and there's an outcome that's required that they've got to be prepared to um, hear that information come back to them. And if they're not, then you haven't really given permission, have you, as a leader? And I think that's super important and because that will stifle the next learning team for sure. If they, if the leader says, okay, we've given permission, we've got psychological safety, we really want you guys to be engaged in this, the information comes back out and they go, whoa, I don't want to do anything with it. Therefore, that, that becomes a problem. Look, I, I agree. Um, you know, any learning team, uh, the, the learnings, some of them can be um, a sweetener, some of them can be slightly bitter. Oh, definitely. 
and I, and I think that's really the key to them. And just thinking about, it, I've actually come up with the the phrase for the day from Glynis' conversation. I've got here: talking gives context to the doing. Ooh. Do we like that? That sounds really yeah. sweet. Talking gives context to the doing. Who's phrase that? I just made it up. Well, it must be yours then. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll copyright it before somebody okay, else takes beautiful. it. Okay. One of the interesting conversations that was had with uh, Stephen and Tony was about the value of being a learning organisation. And just to provide some context to that, they talked about the fact that they started their journey looking at trying to implement Safety 2. That was their primary focus. And, and through their journey of using learning teams, what they realised is that if they were to start this again, they wouldn't start off trying to be a safety organisation. They'd actually start the process by saying, what is a learning organisation? And how do we become a learning organisation? I think that's really exciting that they've separated it out from that safety two journey because it is about learning. It's about operational learning. It's about not just safety, but operational excellence, continuous improvement across. And, and Deidre talked about that as well. One of the things that she talked about that learning teams are out, uh, using them outside of um, just safety. And it is about that learning organization, isn't it? I mean, that's that's where we're heading. It's, it's, it started off with the work that um, Todd did and around safety, but it's actually growing out of that. You know, the learning teams that I've been doing have been quite often around operational improvement and how we can, and getting the people that are doing that, doing the day-to-day -day stuff, how they make the operation function better, no matter what it is, whether it's blue collar, white collar, it doesn't matter. And it's about that organization moving forward. And I think, you know, in some respects, it's been people try and put it in that box of safety one, safety two, it doesn't matter. It, 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 in my mind, um, supersedes that, that conversation. It's at that next level in my mind. And I think this, this divide that is created between these two worlds, this divide that gets spoken about, simply really comes down to how those two different approaches actually learn. Yes. And I recently participated um, uh, with a, a piece of guidance that's going to be coming out from the Safety Differently Forum around, they, I, from what I recall, they, they went out and they asked um, a bunch of people they think are thought leaders, God knows while I was included, but here I am. And they had that thing about what, what do these two worlds mean to you? And, and my response was simple, that, that if we think about the world that we're in, our learning opportunity comes from the fact that we want to embrace the adaptive nature of work. That we want to learn what that adaption means and how to inform the system of that to make that system more resilient and more agile. If we think about um, traditional safety, safety is treating that adaption as a variation. And it's really trying to take that variation, it's trying to stamp it out. It's trying to put it back in within its structure itself around that. And it does that through that whole sort of rules process or procedures process. So, so I think, you know, um, learning is learning. And there are different ways to learn. But what I like about learning teams is that learning teams is agnostic. Learning teams does not care what your system is. 
is the learning team itself is simply creates the opportunity for learning to occur. Absolutely, and I think what we need to be doing is we need to be moving away from these constructs, whether you're safety one or whether you're safety two. Actually, what we need to be saying is how do we manage risk? How do we know that what we are doing is going to lead to an, a good outcome, both for people, plant, equipment, for quality, for whatever it might be? We need to have a system in place that allows us to do those checks and balances. And that's really where learning can occur. It can be about asking people what it is that they're doing well. It's about what, where are the rubs? What are the things that are getting in the way of good practice? And, and actually, that, I agree with you, Brent, that sits outside of those constructs. It really is trying to get to the heart of the matter of people. So it's learning from one another so that the organisation can develop much better systems and processes that are far more agile to how work is really being done. And all modern standards, whether it's safety, whether it's environmental, quality, security, all those, all these modern standards today, all talk about the same thing. Where, where are the opportunities for improvement present? And it says, you know, the organisation needs to go and find those opportunities. The other thing that fascinated me was, was a conversation that happened um, in episode 22, where Stephen talked about using learning teams for opportunity for alignment. And those words really resonated with me because it made me think about what did he really mean by that? And I sort of came back to those risk management principles that opportunities for alignment is about looking at the efficacy of our controls. So we do all these things, we have all these mitigations, we have these barriers, we have these controls. And those controls are there to either manage how the hazard releases energy or to try and influence the hazardous situations that people um, get themselves into with, with the hazards themselves. And I really thought about it that running a learning team to simply look at the alignment between workers imagined and workers done is very powerful. Because it doesn't necessarily have to be an improvement. It could simply be um, some, some type of engagement that is looking at the uh, efficacy of the mitigations or the controls to understand how those controls are viewed by those who are exposed to the risk. And I found that quite powerful. I think I think that alignment piece and how the controls are actually working for the people that are that are having to either use them or be protected by them is actually really powerful because how often do we actually go and do that and ask that question? So that it, I, it is a um, I mean, there's a whole there's a whole episode there really, isn't there, to understand and, and discuss that even further. It's it's, a, it's an interesting way of looking at it. I think following on from what you were just saying, Brent, you know, by reviewing workers successful so that we have an opportunity to review those controls, I think the learning teams can pay part of that kind of assurance and verification piece so that we actually know that the controls are working the way that we think they are. Um, again, I think that we often are looking for quantitative measures to tell us whether or not we've been successful, but actually going back and talking to people at source about how they view those controls, which ones work for them, why is it that some things are inherently clunky? Actually, that gives us greater insight and gives us much stronger insight with regards to alignment than really any other metric that we might be using. 
And I think that conversation links back into Deirdre's one. That is, so if we, if we talk about looking at opportunities for alignment, that actually then feeds back into being able to justify the cost of a learning team. Because it is a piece of assurance work. Yeah. And assurance is really important. And it doesn't matter what type of risk you are evaluating. It's not just about health and safety anymore. And it's really interesting that as, as the episodes carried through, this other theme that started to emerge was the fact that as leaders began to um, hear these stories, see these stories around operational learning, their immediate response was, can we take it outside of safety? Well, they can see a value, can't they? Yeah, absolutely. Which is interesting because then that, they see the value, which means that you don't need to justify it. Because if the leaders see the value in it, the bean counters aren't having to worry about, um, you know, the cost of having eight people on a learning team or the disruption to the, to the business. For 50 minutes. Yeah. That goes back to that whole sort of valued versus non-valued activity. Right. Which goes back to really about the role of the facilitator, making sure that you're very clear about what are you trying to achieve with a learning team, making sure that leadership really endorse the value of a learning team, and then that this, the facilitator sets up an environment where you've got strong psychological safety, has that balance between sharing and learning, provides a context around learning so people can take away those nuggets of learning, but at the same time is able to send that learning throughout the organisation. So all of these things are really interconnected. So on that, over the series, dealing with um, Deirdre and Stephen and Tony, there were about uh, 26 um, different things that were discussed during that, those three episodes. That's a lot of content, a huge amount of content. And of that, there were about those 16 core themes that emerged. And I've got to share with you guys, um, I took so much from those conversations that they had. And I guarantee that when we reconnect with those guys the next time, we'll probably have 16 different other conversations at the same time. So just for wrapping up, what are your closing thoughts? Well, I think uh, learning teams is about learning. And I think your last comment there really explains how we're learning all the way. And it's adapting over a period of time. It goes back to one of your very first comments, Brent, about what we do this year will be different next year. And, and, and as this stuff adapts and grows out into other parts of the business, it is just showing the power of it. But it comes back to the power, the not the power of the facilitator, but the skills of the facilitator, um, and the needing to to help coach and mentor them. You know, I think that that's super powerful, uh, and we need to keep working on that. And I think that means that these constructs that we use um, around maturity scales don't work for learning teams. No, I think you know, as we've talked about, that they're not. It's not a linear journal. Linear journal. You know, I think it's a, a linear journey rather. I think it's something that, you know, evolves. So, you know, the, the takeaway that I get from this is that we need to get out and try it. But more importantly, we need to be part of a community of practice. We need to be sharing with one another what's working, what's not. Where are the things that we get tripped up? What are the things that, are, that, that we can share with somebody else so that that can expedite their journey? So really for me, it's about how do we continue to share? 
How do we get opportunities to come back and talk with Deirdre and Stephen and Tony and others? There are a lot of other people out there that are doing this and doing it really well. How do we capture that and how do we put it together so that other people can take that, those, those learnings on board? So in wrapping up, a huge thanks to uh, Deirdre, Stephen and Tony in participating in our virtual tour of Down Under. Uh, both countries went through numerous lockdowns during that time, um, which was interesting by itself. And of course, a big thanks both to Glynis McCarthy and Brent Robinson participating today. Uh, we, look, we will be resuming our normal program during the month of um, March, and we have some super exciting things happening in April, which we'll talk about in the next coming weeks. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We'd love to hear your learnings from today or other topics you would like us to support you on. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and be part of the community practice of learning teams at www.learningteamscommunity.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.